2: a Day Podcast.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of a A Pack-A-Day podcast. I am your host this evening. I am Jacob Westendorf and flying solo. It's a lonely life for me. Zach Jacobson is in the midst of moving out and has just all sorts of stuff going on in his life right now, so it's a little hectic. So you're going to have to deal with just me for this evening, and I apologize for that. A lot going on in the ways of the NFL this week and this weekend. Uh, I am going to kind of go through some of the stuff Packers-wise and some things that happened around the league. Uh, I want to start briefly, and I don't want to get too deep into this rabbit hole, uh, just kind of acknowledging the fact that the NFL and Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reid reached a collusion settlement, uh, or a settlement in the case uh, based on collusion, on Friday afternoon. See a lot of takes going on about it. Uh, my my simple one is is this is that I, I find it funny that Twitter is a great place for a lot of different things. I just think it's funny how many people are law experts and lawyers and you know the NFL essentially uh, by making this deal or you know these people by making this deal. There's a confidentiality agreements, so we'll never know how much money Kaepernick and Reed got. Uh, we're not going to know what the NFL believes versus. Uh, what they don't in terms of you know What went on as far as those things go But I, I do find it funny that Everybody seems to be an expert as far as uh, The court of law and civil cases And stuff like that now cases like these settle All the time uh, very rarely Do they go to trial I think it's funny that you know the people That believed that Kaepernick Was in the right that the owners did collude Believe that this is the NFL admitting Of guilt and that the people on the other Side thinking that Kaepernick is You know in the wrong they believe that they just wanted to pay him to go away, or Kaepernick sold out, or you know whatever way you want to do it to take the money here. Here's kind of where I stand uh, in general on that. I think that in in essence, I don't think Kaepernick taking the money or getting the money for the wages that he lost, because here's the reality, guys. He's, he should be in the NFL. Um, he's one of the 64 best quarterbacks on planet Earth right now, but there's another reality that comes with it. Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the national anthem causes a media storm if and when he was signed by any team. Now, you can argue that this should not be the case, and I would certainly be willing to listen to that. However, it is the case that that will cause a media storm, making it a distraction for the rest of the team. And nobody wants their backup quarterback to be a distraction. So, for example, Colin Kaepernick, if he was talented or a better player, and I'm not saying he's a bad player because he wasn't, um, but if Colin Kaepernick is Tom Brady, say Tom Brady kneels during the national anthem, and the Patriots are so outraged by it that they cut him, Tom Brady has a job two days later because he's Tom Brady. Colin Kaepernick is a good player, but he's not good enough to overcome what is the media distraction that comes with his beliefs um, and his, his form of protest. So, that is why he's not in the NFL I think it's impossible for any of us to know that the NFL was admitting guilt I think it's possible, impossible for any of us to know if Kaepernick was uh, selling out Which I don't believe he was doing um, I believe that you know Kaepernick's done plenty of things to support his cause uh, And everything that he's been talking about since uh, this whole this whole thing began a couple years ago I just think it's funny how everybody assumes that they know these things. So that's really where this all ends. Whether or not Kaepernick plays in the NFL anymore, I don't know. I do think that one thing that emerges from this that is a little bit hypocritical is Eric Reed, uh, because Eric Reed was very critical of Malcolm Jenkins for taking money from the NFL to help with social justice issues. And Eric Reed essentially took the money for somebody who I think it's very clear right now he's in the NFL and he just got a pretty nice contract extension from the Panthers, and it's hard to say that anybody was colluding against him when he's in the NFL. Now, the Kaepernick story I just mentioned, there's a lot of reasons for that, and like I said, I don't want to spend too much time on that uh, and go down the rabbit hole with everything like that. I just wanted to acknowledge that it did happen, give you guys my little spin on it, um, and see at least where I stand as far as these things go. Um, Ultimately, I don't think Kaepernick ever plays in the NFL anymore, and quite frankly, at this point, maybe he wants to, and if he really wants to, I don't know. He's never uh, come out himself and said that. There have been people that have reported on his behalf that he wants to, but I have never actually heard him say that, so I don't know for sure that he wants to. But at this rate, he got that settlement money from the NFL. He gets a lot of money from Nike uh, to be their spokesman with their marketing, um, marketing strategy here in the next several months. Kyle Kaepernick has made plenty of money. He can, you know, continue his uh, march towards social justice. He can continue everything he wants to do without having to play football and put his body on the line. If he wants to do that, uh, my advice—and <laughs> granted, he probably has advisors close to him, much smarter than I would—my advice would be to put some pressure on the NFL, have your own conference, and say, "Okay, this is over with. I'm ready to play. I will come in and compete for a backup job, uh, and I will pay. I will play for." um a small salary because I, I don't think a lot of teams want to spend a lot of money on their backup quarterback uh and things of that nature. So that's where I'm at with that. Again, I just wanted to acknowledge that it did happen because it is news, it's big news, uh, because a lot of people I mean this is a story that we've been talking about for the last two and a half to three years. Um so in the words of Forrest Gump, uh that's all I have to say about that. So let's move forward here. I did a a Twitter question, or not question, asking for questions from you guys. And I'm going to spend a lot of time on that. I was going to talk about Antonio Brown, but surprise, surprise, that became one of the questions. So I will certainly acknowledge that a little bit later. I'm going to try to get to every single question that was asked of me. um, And I apologize ahead of time. One, if I butcher your name and two, uh, if I don't get to the question, just because I do want to stay close to the time because I do know in recent memory, we've kind of been going over, especially when I'm involved, because I tend to be The wordy type. So I apologize for that ahead of time. But Peter at 8 pjs, which I want to pronounce it PJs because that's fantastic. But he asks me, of the new hires that Matt LaFleur has made, where have the biggest upgrades been made? I want to start uh, by saying, one, as far as assistant coaches go, I don't have a ton of knowledge. I don't have a ton of opinion on that. Uh, just because I don't know how a lot of them operate. Obviously, the guys that are in the league, they're going to know that a little bit better than I will. Uh, But one hire that I did really like that he made as far as assistant coaches was bringing back Luke Getze. That was somebody who was credited a lot by Devontae Adams uh, for his rise uh, towards the end of his career, or the end of his career, his first tenure in Green Bay. And I think that Adams is... Uh, a good voice to hear as far as those things go, because we've seen Devontae Adams' career path. You know, 2014 is rookie season. He comes out. He has a really good year, and uh, for a rookie at least, and you're thinking this guy's going to be a star, and then his second year is a complete bust, um, and I don't think there's any better way to explain that. It was just wasn't the year that, if you're a Packers fan, you were looking for, uh, and then obviously he's become a star since then, uh, one of the top five receivers in football. That's a shout-out to my co-host. Zach Jacobson, uh, he's, he's definitely in that group. Uh, he, he tweeted the other day, I'm still open, which I thought was really funny. Uh, and then there was some Twitter banter between him and Chad Ochocinco, formerly of the Cincinnati Bengals, which I found funny as well. Um, but yeah, I, I like the Getse hire. Uh, I think bringing him in uh, as the quarterback's coach is somebody Aaron Rodgers clearly trusts, which was a big deal. Uh, you're going to hear that Aaron Rodgers trust phrase like it's a huge deal, and uh, I don't know if it's a huge deal, but it can't hurt to have somebody like that in there. Uh, I think you have three really good coaches uh, in terms of quarterbacks with Matt Lafleur, uh, Nathaniel Hackett, the offensive coordinator, and then obviously Luke Getzey as well. So, Peter, that's where I would start um, as far as the defensive side of the ball. I personally am just happy. I don't know if happy is the right word, um, but I'm. I'm okay with the fact that they were willing to let go of McCarthy senior lieutenants because you know that's not to say guys like James Campin and Joe Witt were not good coaches but I also believe that if you're going to if you're going to change the coach then you need to clean house now Mike Patton doesn't necessarily fit in this particular box because he was only with McCarthy for one year but they want to talk about you know accountability and you know, staleness of the message and staleness of just kind of everything in general, you can't really rid of that unless you get rid of everybody. And they pretty much did. Uh, So I'm okay with letting those guys go as well, even though it has been a bit of a hot button issue that Campin and specifically Joe Witt Jr. were let go and allowed to go elsewhere. But thanks for that question, I appreciate that. (laughs) The other one came from my soon-to-be co-host for a show, Maggie Lawler. Her first question was, are you excited for March 3rd? Which is when she and I will be recording together. So yes, Maggie, I am excited for that. To see how we work together. I've been listening uh, when you were on, too, to kind of get a feel for what you're doing. But obviously, I'm excited to work together and do those things as well. But (laughs) then she came with a real question. Said, would I rather get safety help or pass rush help in free agency or wildcard O-line help? My answer to that question is... I don't want to sound like a cop out, but I mean, whatever the best value presents. Honestly, I think the Packers have enough cap space to where they should be looking at all three of those things. Um, I believe it was Mark Eckel said on today. I'm recording Saturday night, so today's show, Saturday show, that you know they should be spending on their defense and free agency and drafting for the offense in the draft. And I don't necessarily hate that idea, uh, and I'll get to that more in a little bit, but if you're looking strictly at where the best value is going to place, I think the answer to that question is going to be the safety position. Uh, Earl Thomas is obviously the big name. I know Landon Collins is another big name that has come out. I am interested in the coverage first type of safeties. Uh, So someone like Adrian Amos, uh, my friend Will Ingalls of what used to be known as the Bears Brothers, and I apologize, Will, I, I think it's called the Chicago Audible now, but I don't know that to be 100% sure, but Will's a very smart mind when it comes to the Bears, and he basically told me if you want a box safety, Adrian Amos is your guy. Uh, I don't think that's money well spent. That's not to say Amos wouldn't be an upgrade over Josh Jones and Kentrell Bryce because he would, but if you're spending money on a position, I think you can find a way to get by with something like Josh. Maybe not necessarily Josh Jones and Kentrell Bryce, but you can find a box safety. Uh, the guys I'm looking for, Earl Thomas, obviously I think would be a huge get Um, I don't know how the Cowboys are going to pay him, but I know he's got a bunch of stuff set up down in Texas. So it looks like he's going to be a Cowboy, uh, that may not end up being the case because again, like I mentioned, they have to pay DeMarcus Lawrence and Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott and Amari Cooper here in the next year or so. And well, they don't have a whole lot of cap space as is, uh, as of right now. So I don't know how they're going to do that. I also know that the salary cap can be manipulated in a variety of ways, I watched the New Orleans Saints do that in recent years. The Philadelphia Eagles have done that a lot in recent years. So, but to answer your question, I think safety is where it's at. Earl Thomas uh, would be the one, obviously, that I think he's a star. He's one of the best free safeties I've ever seen play. And then you go into guys like Trey Boston, uh, LaMarcus Joyner. I think there's a lot of options the Packers could have at the safety position on the free agent market. And I also think that something else to keep in mind for next year is, is that I think they're going to go into the year with Tremont Williams primarily playing safety. Uh, Now, that could change, obviously, if they sign. You know, let's just say they go and get Earl Thomas and Adrian Amos. I doubt that's going to happen, but if they do do that, then Tremont Williams is either being cut or playing cornerback. Uh, And I'm not sure... How that would all work necessarily, but I think the safety position is where you're going to get your most most value as far as that goes. Offensive line, I think veterans on the offensive line not named Byron Bell are definitely good options. Roger Saffold is going to be a big name, obviously. Uh, he would upgrade the guard position immediately. I think the Packers could use some help at both guard spots. Uh, Lane Taylor has been okay. Uh, he was just okay last year, but he's certainly somebody that I think could be upgraded from. But I honestly think that you know it doesn't have to be just one. The Packers have their cap space, and I think this younger age or this more recent age of Packer fan has been conditioned to think of a certain way of, okay, we just get the one guy. Well, last year, Brian Goodkunst didn't do that. You know, he went out and signed Jimmy Graham, and that was the only quote unquote big signing. But then he went out and got Muhammad Wilkerson, and then later it was Mercedes Lewis and Tremont Williams, and they got a lot of guys that were, you know, some mid tier, pretty good signings for the most part. Uh, But I do think, you know, Tony Pauline reported. The Packers are going to be in on the big-name pass rushers when they hit the market. Now, who those are remains to be seen because a lot of guys are going to get franchise tagged between now and when the new league year starts. So we really don't know who's going to be available when that time hits. Uh, but I think that, you know, the Packers can certainly go after more than one player uh, and make two really good signings at those positions. You know They have, as of right now, according to something I saw earlier, about $35 million in cap space, and they can create more. Um, with a couple moves here or there, should they so choose to. But if you want my my concrete answer, you put a gun to my head and say you can only send one guy from those positions. I would say safety is the answer uh, to that specific question. Kyle Skinner at Kyle Skinner eleven twenty two asked, "Do I want Antonio Brown?" And I was going to talk about this regardless tonight, uh, whether Zach was here or not, because it's been a big issue. The Packers have the second best odds according to Bet Online. Uh, at 5-1 to one to get Antonio Brown. So if you go under the assumption that I do of, quote, Vegas always knows, uh, then I don't think that it's too far-fetched to think that the Packers will be in on Antonio Brown. Brian Gutekunst has said more than once he wants to be in on every conversation. Whether or not they pull the trigger is another story. There's a lot of poor criticism, I think, that has come out of these specific conversations, you know, somebody said that Brian Gutekunst so far has had a penchant for striking out on, you know, his big moves. You know, he didn't get Khalil Mack. It's like, well, I know that, but it's also been stressed over and over again that the Raiders essentially locked in on the Bears because they thought, would we rather bet on a team with Mitchell Trubisky getting us a higher first round pick or a team with Aaron Rodgers getting them a higher first round pick? It was no brainer. Uh, at at this point last season, I don't think anybody, even the most optimistic of Bear fan, wouldn't have told you that the Bears were going to have a better record than the Packers last season. Now, it did turn out that way, but that doesn't mean they thought that. So that, I don't think that's a fair criticism. Uh, And I also don't think it's fair for somebody to say, well, we were the favorites for Mac and we didn't get him. Again, the Bears were the second best odds as far as Vegas goes, and the Raiders again, they were very bad as far as trade negotiations go. They locked in on the Bears and basically didn't let anybody else match their offer, and that's how it went. So now Khalil Mack is a Chicago Bear. As far as do I want Antonio Brown, uh, Antonio Brown is a very good player, uh, the best receiver in the league. I fought that tooth and nail over the last several years with Julio Jones and you know various different players and Odell Beckham, and there's plenty of guys that are really good players at the receiver position, but Brown has been by far the most consistent. Here's kind of the issue, is if you bring in Antonio, the money, not a big deal. Uh, The Packers can easily afford his salary, and he is worth every penny of that contract from an on-field production standpoint. Something brought up today was the fact that he's a Devo-wide receiver, and that is true. Um, And Devo receivers, you know, guys like T.O., guys like uh, does Bryant's players like that have not won a Super Bowl now if you bring him in it's because you're trusting your culture because I think something else is and it's a fair question on both sides as to you know Mike Tomlin has very clearly given Antonio Brown special treatment he doesn't have to stay in the dorms when he's at Pittsburgh training camp he stays in his rental home not far from there he's late to meetings but he's only occasionally fine you would have to be trusting the culture that is in place which As far as Green Bay goes, right now, I don't know what that culture is. And that's no disrespect to Matt LaFleur. I just don't know what it is at this point. So if they were going to bring him in, it would have to be something to where it's been made very clear to him that this is how it's going to work, this is how it's going to go, and if it's not, you're going to be out of here. That's what they would have to do because from an on-field standpoint, you know, I've heard people say like, oh, you know, we don't need two number one receivers. That's a load of crap. Um... From an on-field standpoint, you figure out a way to make that work, and then I've heard people saying, "You know, well, how would Devonte Adams feel if we brought in Antonio Brown?" And my response to that is, it's very similar to when in 2007, Ted Thompson has talked about this before of when they, you know, were in rumors to bring in Randy Moss, and a question that they had was, "Well, how is that going to make Donald Driver, who was the number one wide receiver at the time, feel?" My answer to that is, I don't, I don't give a damn about these guys' feelings. Um, it's, it's a business. And, you know, if there's somebody in there that can make this team better and make this offense better, then I'm not real worried about what Devontae Adams feels about bringing in Antonio Brown. Now, I also believe that Devontae Adams would be a good teammate and bring him in, and they'd be like, okay, we can share the wealth. You know, having a guy like Adams and a guy like Brown, that's a lot of targets. You know, if there was one guy to have an issue with it, I think it would be Brown because, as you've seen this year, Brown took issue with the Steelers voting Juju Smith-Schuster, his teammate, a league MVP, or not the league, I'm sorry, the team MVP, when, okay, that's a bad look, because Smith-Schuster, you should be thrilled for your teammate, your fellow wide receiver having a big year like that, that's what you would want, but I'm not real worried about how guys on the team currently feel, if it would hurt their feelings, get over it, it's not show friends, it's show business, and that's how I believe this has to work, but To get back full circle here, to answer the question, if the Packers were able to get him for the most I would be willing to trade for him, and I'm not saying this is realistic, is a third-round pick. That is the highest. I would not trade a top 50 selection for Brown because he is turning 30. However, his game tends to age a little bit better. The expenses I went over, that's not that big of a deal. But I would be worried about a problem in the locker room. And that's something that, especially with the way this team is trying to go forward now, And build a new culture of accountability and stuff like that I don't know if Brown would be down for that if they trade for him clearly they are willing to bet that he is uh, able to do those things so in the end I mean if they can get him for a third or fourth round pick and go from there I mean I got a hard time saying that on the field that's not even worth that's not worth the risk because like I mentioned a third round pick for the best receiver in the NFL that's a steal Uh, in my opinion. But I don't know if that's going to be the case. Uh, I don't know what he's going to go for. I do know his roster bonus is due on March 17th. So that is seen as a bit of a pseudo deadline for a brown trade. I know Art Rooney is talking to him or was talking to him. That meeting may have already taken place at the time of this recording. So I don't know how that's going to go. But if they do uh, trade for him, I think it would have to be for something outside of the top 50. So I wouldn't trade either of their first round picks or their second round pick for Brown. And that's largely because of character concerns. Um, And I think that that's a a fair assessment based on what we've seen from Antonio Brown over the last couple of years. So thank you, Kyle, for that question. Next question came from Ryan Herman. Uh, He asked, are there any surprise players that you could see the Packers trading for that haven't been talked about? So an example he gave was the Rams traded for Brandon Cooks, Aqib Talib, and Marcus Peters last year. And at the time, no one saw those players as tradable. I don't know if this is surprising, Uh, But somebody that I would be interested in them kicking the tires on and seeing if he was available is Nelson Aguilar, the wide receiver from the Philadelphia Eagles. He's got an option that could be picked up by Philadelphia, but they're kind of up against it with the cap. They went all in. They won a Super Bowl. uh, and They've been one of the best teams in the NFL over the last two seasons. I think that's someone they could look into. Other guys, uh, I think that they could potentially be trading for some offensive line help. Um, You know, I tend to believe that veterans – On the offensive line might be a better route for them to go considering where they're at you know you don't really want to go through growing pains of an offensive lineman with Aaron Rodgers starting to get up there in age and we're getting you know towards the twilight if you will of his career but if you wanted me to give a specific name I would shoot for Aguilar somebody like that Uh, another name that could potentially come up I have no idea if it will or not but Cameron Bright of the tampa bay buccaneers the tight end he's the backup to oj howard and i don't know uh, how much use that bruce arians is going to make out of his second tight end so he's somebody i wanted the packers to sign when he was a free agent uh and he never made it to the free agent market they signed him to a relatively big deal but most of his guaranteed money based on my understanding has already been paid out um so that would be another name but i think uh those are two guys that I would go to as far as surprises. How surprising they really are, I guess. Uh, that's that's up to you. Alex Sice or Sizzy Sicy? I'm going to go with Sice. S y s e says, "Will Geronimo Allison sign an extension with the Packers? He's a restricted free agent. I think that it's worth giving him a one year deal for minimal money. Uh, Allison is also somebody that I can very easily see." them moving on from him. Uh if they get in, like say they draft Hollywood Brown with the 44th overall pick. And then you add in the rookies from last year. Allison's not guaranteed anything. I don't personally don't think. Uh, or at least he shouldn't be. But it's not going to cost you a pretty penny to keep him either, I wouldn't imagine, considering he didn't play a ton last year. He's not exactly a household name and he's coming off a year where he was injured for the vast majority of it. Now, Rodgers likes him and pretty much has been has since the first day at camp when he just came out and made like a play a day is he's a perfect example of how an undrafted free agent makes the roster. He comes out, he makes a play here or there and makes one of those plays every single day. So, he made the roster based on that. He's done some good things. Obviously, the touchdown pass uh, last year in the Chicago game is an example. Big play against Cincinnati. And that comeback win two seasons ago, I think he's a solid player, but he's certainly someone that's able to be upgraded from. And I think that's something that Packers fans as a whole need to realize to some degree is to not – I liken it to like the New York Knicks is, you know, I'm friends with a couple guys that are Knicks fans, and they weren't willing to trade, for example, when we talked about hypothetical Anthony Davis packages and they don't want to trade Alonzo Trier or Trier for Anthony Davis. And I'm like, guys, that guy is a role player. He's somebody that is easily upgraded from, and they weren't willing to do that. And obviously the Knicks, I don't even know if the Knicks ever made an offer, but the fan not being willing to upgrade from somebody who's easily upgradable from, um, I think is something that we need to start having a discussion with. Guys that you really can't upgrade from. So Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, David Bakhtiari. I mean, there are guys that are obviously not upgradable from. There's other people obviously that fall into that discussion and then there's other guys that to me they're just jags uh just a guys and those are people who i think you can easily upgrade from and somebody for that example is geronimo allison now is he a solid player has he had some nice moments absolutely but what's his upside you know i, I don't know what that is at this point so i do think he's brought back but i don't think he's guaranteed a roster spot by any point oh sean your last name is going to kill me sean aikenbach and that's as good of an attempt as I'm going to give it. Says, are there any under-the-radar free agents I would like to see the Packers target? Under-the-radar is such a odd phrase to me. Just because eventually your under-the-radar guys become so on-the-radar that they cost so much money. So last year, for example, that guy was Trey Burton, the tight end who is now with the Chicago Bears. He was a backup uh, with the Eagles. And eventually becomes uh such a big name on the free agent market if you will that he gets eight million dollars in average annual value and he gets a big contract on the open market when everybody thought oh you know maybe you could get him in one of those three for 15 million dollars kinds of deals and i just don't you know this year that guy seems to be tyrell williams the wide receiver for the los angeles chargers uh, i don't know again if this is under the radar but you know i mentioned uh earl thomas earlier is the big name and i wonder if Someone like Trey Boston slips through the cracks again like he did last year and becomes that under-the-radar type of free agent. Um, Shaq Barrett, a edge rusher uh, from Denver, is somebody that I could see maybe fitting that role. But I don't know. You know as far as guys that are under the radar, there's just eventually on a free agent market, players that end up on the free agent market almost always get overpaid. Uh, that's how that usually tends to work. Um, so anybody who's under the radar usually ends up very much on the radar uh, to answer your question. I know that probably seems like a bit of a cop-out, so I apologize for that. But that, uh, that's how I think uh, in that regard. I had one other question, and I'm trying to find it. Luke Mills. Luke, I really appreciate this question, uh, and I do want to address it. But I don't think you're going to get the answer from me that you want. He says, can you please explain how to correctly look at players' contracts and determine how much money you're saving and losing by cutting them? Dead money cap hit example. You know, An example is like Nick Perry. Uh, I make no bones about it that I think the salary cap is manipulated all the time by teams. Um, and I think that here in Green Bay, the fans, we've become accustomed to using, obviously looking at the salary cap because the Packers have always had a very healthy amount of cap room since Ted Thompson took over. Now, it's a little different now because Brian Gudekunst is a little more aggressive, obviously, than Ted Thompson. And I say all that basically to say I'm not the most knowledgeable person when it comes to how Caproom works. That's when I rely on guys like Andrew Brandt, uh, Andy Herman here from Cheesehead TV and Packaday, the founder. He did a really good piece on Jimmy Graham and Nick Perry in general and why he believes you know, it's best to cut them now as opposed to later. So I'm not the best person to ask on those things um, because, frankly, I don't know. Um, and there are plenty of other examples of, or other places, other resources. You know, SpotTrack is one example, Over OverTheCap.com is an example of places you can look. But again, like I mentioned, you know, I think that the cap is manipulated in such a way that there are plenty of things that you can do uh, to make that cap look a little different than it normally is. So the correct way to look at those in general, that's a question for somebody else. But I do appreciate that question because it does come up a lot. The other thing I tend to say is, and I could be wrong on this, and I'll be the first to admit that, but the NFL teams, the salary cap is so complicated. Teams have a guy or guys that are designated solely, that is their job. Rust Ball's job in Green Bay is essentially to be the finance guy, the salary cap guy. And that is his full-time, 40-hour-a-week, probably more, job. And to me, I think it is impossible for somebody who doesn't do that full-time to fully understand how the salary cap works. Now, I think you can have a really good understanding, like I mentioned some of those places earlier, do a pretty good job of that sort of stuff. But, again, the NFL is somebody's full-time job as observing and looking at the salary cap. And I don't know how exactly you can have a full understanding of that when even those guys say it's confusing and I'm sure there's things about it they don't understand and they have to get more information on and how that sort of stuff works. So, I say all that to say I don't know. And I think that that's something in this day and age that we don't say enough is I don't know the answer to that question. And I think a lot of people try to act like experts on stuff that they really aren't experts on. And I'm not saying anybody here at Packaday or Cheesehead TV or whatever, that's what those guys are doing or that they've even done that. But, you know, I think that, like I mentioned, this day and age, nobody's real comfortable in saying I don't know or I need to get more information on that. So that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to set the example going forward. Last one is from Mr. Seth Lail, L-A-I-L, said, my thoughts on Marquise Brown to the Packers. Well, for starters, uh, Seth, like I mentioned on Twitter, as soon as you asked that, is my <laughs> my first thought is that his name is Hollywood, and I will call him that regardless because that is a fantastic nickname, especially for a wide receiver. I've been watching the wide receivers a lot the last couple days as far as the draft goes uh, I've pretty much well I don't want to say I've finished because you're never really finished but I've kind of moved forward from the tight ends and some of the pass rushers um, and stuff like that so I say that there's so many good ones so many guys that I think could easily be picked from 33 to like pick 100 and you could easily talk me into any of those guys Uh, because there's like I said there's so many good ones I think DK Metcalf is probably the only one from Ole Miss assuming his neck checks out that I would really say is a first round pick after that there's so many other dudes Uh, a guy I was watching last night was DeMarcus Lodge out of Ole Miss I have no idea how Ole Miss didn't average 40 points a game by the way because there's three guys Metcalf AJ Brown and DeMarcus Lodge I think are all very good receivers and like I mentioned I don't know how they didn't average 40 points a game with those three guys on their roster uh, there's other guys. Preston Williams is a name who they could take a flyer on later. their receivers coach now was his receiver's coach in college but he's got a basket of character concerns obviously that makes those things uh, a little more hard uh, to look into. Riley Ridley, Calvin Ridley's brother he is far from just being Calvin Ridley's brother. Uh, he's a very good player as well. I think Debo Samuels a favorite as a slot receiver. Andy Isabella is a name mentioned pretty often as another slot receiver. uh, You're going to hear all the same comparisons to Julian Edelman and Jordy Nelson and Wes Welker and every white receiver ever because that's apparently how we do things as far as comparing players to each other. But from Hollywood's case specifically, you could probably talk me into him at pick 30 just because that's so close to a second-round pick that I would be okay with it. Uh, But I would be more comfortable if they could get him at pick 44 because he is so small. He's 160-some-odd pounds. Obviously he hasn't weighed in the combine yet, but that's what he's listed as. He's short. And one of my notes is, you know, he's kind of a one-trick pony as far as his speed goes, but it's a hell of a trick because he is really fast. And that's something this Packers offense has needed is an injection of that vertical speed down the field. Uh, He didn't have the greatest end to his season, not the greatest game against... Texas in the Big 12 Championship and also not the greatest game against Alabama uh, there in the college football playoff. But to be fair to him, not a lot of guys have a lot of good games against Alabama and Oklahoma was kind of out of sorts throughout the course of that game. So I wouldn't mind it. Um, I have mentioned before that I have receiver higher on my list of needs than maybe somebody else would because I don't want to just hand jobs to Marquez Valdez scantling and Equinemius Saint Brown because they're non top 100 picks and they showed a little bit but you know maybe that's like that could be a byproduct of a lot of things uh, those guys were pressed into duty right away and now they have to learn a whole new offense which al'beit the rest of the team would as well um, but I'm okay with that in competition you know I'm a coach myself I coach baseball uh, for youth uh, seventh and eighth graders and I always tell them that competition breeds excellence. And I believe that. I believe that if you add more competition to that room that the Packers could have a get the best results in that regard. Plus, if let's say let's say they draft a guy in the second round and then he hits his ceiling or somewhat close to that and then MVS and EQ hit theirs and or something close to those and then you have DeVonte who's a legitimate stud and you add a tight end and now that offense is really looking dangerous whereas last year it really was Relying on Devontae Adams and not much else. With all due respect to Randall Cobb, it looks like you know his time as being a really productive player is probably over with. Uh, he probably needs to do finish his career somewhere else. I think he knew that. That's why that famous picture with Rodgers and Cobb um, in the last game against Detroit, I think that gave you a pretty good picture as to what they feel like as far as his future in Green Bay might be. Geronimo Allison, like I mentioned, has some ability but I'm not sure that he can't be upgraded from Jake kumro I I mean I get it Wisconsin kid great story not somebody I think you need to be relying on Trevor Davis good returner uh, I don't think you can keep a roster spot for somebody who's just a returner and doesn't have I mean the reality is Davis is Davis pretty much missed all of last year with an injury we have no idea what he is as far as a receiver goes. And I don't think you can afford to keep that around anymore. So Hollywood would be a welcome addition by me, uh, especially true if he was a second-round pick. Uh, So thank you guys for those questions. It was a lot of fun. I enjoy answering those. Send them to me whenever, too. I'm more than happy to answer those, at least on what my opinion is, when we're not doing the show. Uh, So I enjoy interacting with you guys. I think a lot of you, uh, the listeners, have been a lot of fun over the last couple of weeks. And I think that... um, you know, there's a lot of good conversation that comes from it. And let's be honest. I mean, football is not being played right now, so we're bored. <laughs> that's the reality. I mean, I like basketball. I like college hoops. I do like the NBA also. I like baseball as much as the next guy. But the NFL is the NFL is the king. And that's just the reality. And the Packers, especially, are the king. That's why we're talking draft now even more so than we are NBA all-star break, college hoops. There's a lot of good games on tonight uh, that I plan on watching to some degree. But in general – if I had to go through everything, I mean, the NFL is obviously uh, where it's at as far as that goes. One more thing I want to get to with you guys after the mailbag is just, I went through it a little bit with Tyler last week, and I apologize um, for the sound quality of that show. It was uh, poor, and I certainly deserve the blame for that. It was a mistake that I made, and as I mentioned, it's something uh, that I want to clean up. Um and I'm working on that. I actually bought a new computer last night solely to be able uh, to produce this show at a higher level than I am currently able. So the one thing I wanted to go over real quick, a pass rusher obviously is going to be the need that everybody's looking at. I've gone over it time and time again with anybody who's willing to listen about how I think Green Bay has basically neglected that position over the last several years. I think that... Um, This is the year they they can't afford to come out of this draft. I personally believe that they need to at least, I would say they need to draft two regardless of if they sign one or two. Uh, The only guy on the roster that I think that you can say is on the team beyond next season for sure is Kyler Fackrell. And how good is he? I don't think we know. Um, I know he had a big year last year but I think that there's a lot of things. You know, you got a couple hustle sacks out of that, and that's not necessarily beating your guy and being a stud. Um, So, I mean, you could even tell me that, let's just say, for example, they sign Anthony Barr and Brandon Graham. Now, I'm not saying that's likely or even possible, but let's just say they do that. I would still be saying they need to draft two guys, uh, and one probably at the 12th overall pick, if not the 30th overall pick, but somewhere in the first round and then somewhere later on, and I am not opposed at all to where, let's just say at the 12th overall pick, they can get Brian Burns, for example, from Florida State, and then later in the draft, they go down and they grab like Cleland Farrell if he were to fall, or Montez Sweat, or I'm going to beat the drum for Chase Winovitz, not at 30 overall, but later in the draft, uh, somebody that I think you could add to your pass rush room, and he would be a solid addition, but double dipping in that position I think is absolutely a necessity Um, and I wouldn't be opposed at all if that was both first round picks uh, if they used them both on pass rusher I know they have a wide variety of needs but the reality is in general Ross Uglum did a really good story on this it's called where the good players come from and the vast majority of your pass rushers I believe the Justice Mosqueda theory as well is pass rushers are quarterbacks Uh, you find the good ones In the first round, and then you end up paying them like quarterbacks as well. So I think that's where they need to look. They need a dude, and I think you get those guys in the first round. But, real quick, just for you guys, my edge rankings, because I didn't talk about them. Well, I did talk about them, but the quality was poor, so I didn't know how much of it came over. Uh, Nick Bosa is number one. I think that's far and away the case. Uh, He will probably be the number one overall pick, uh, and that would be very deserving of his case, unless the Cardinals are going to do the Kyler Murray thing, which is a common conspiracy theory. But that's something I think you need to keep an eye on. Uh, As Nick Bosa's number one pick, the Packers, they're not getting him unless Ricky Williams-type Hall is sent to Arizona for that pick. And if he's not picked one, he'll be picked two by the San Francisco 49ers, and I would be willing to bet that a pretty high sum of money that that is the case. But After that, I actually have Brian Burns from Florida State number two overall uh, as far as, well, number two for my edge rankings, not number two overall player. I love his ability. I love his athleticism. I think he's going to explode at the combine. Uh, My concern with him, obviously, is his weight. But with his athletic ability, his speed, he has the ability to make counter moves and work on the inside as well as beat people with speed on the outside. I just, he jumps off the tape to me. And that's somebody who I think the Packers would be very lucky to get at 12 overall. Number three is Josh Allen. I love his versatility. I know Packers Twitter loves him quite a bit. Uh, he can move around the way that Clay Matthews used to. Uh, I do have a little bit of concern about his ability to bend the edge, but not enough to where I don't think he's a first-round pick or anything like that. He's a potential all-pro uh, to me as well. So that is, excuse me, edge three. Edge four, I have Ja'Kai Polite from Florida. I really like him. He's a quarterback hunter. Uh, I know he's kind of the consensus pick for Green Bay. You know, the consensus for Green Bay is essentially either uh, Ja'Kai Polite at 12 and then one of Dalton Reisner or TJ Hawkinson at 30. That seems to be the favorite combination that a lot of people are going with. Um, I would be thrilled with either one of those, obviously, uh, and any of that combination. Uh, But Polite, I have his four. I do have some concerns about his ability to play the run, but I'm drafting him to sack the quarterback. Like, you know, I mentioned on last week's show that Clay Matthews wasn't the greatest run defender when he came out of college, and then he sacked the quarterback or hit the quarterback, what seemed like every other play. So none of us cared uh, that he couldn't really play the run that well. That could be the case with Polite as well. He could be somebody who I think gets 8 to 10 sacks in his rookie year. I could definitely see that coming if you put him in the right position. Uh, Edge 5 I have as Cleland Farrell uh, out of Clemson. Farrell I have lower just because I think his ceiling is lower. Um, I think that, and that's not a bad thing. I think he's a solid player. He comes in and becomes a guy who becomes, you know, anywhere from like seven to nine sacks a year, which is obviously a pretty good player. I just don't think he'll ever be an all-pro type, and I don't know if that's somebody that I want to pick 12th overall, Uh, but he's still a very good player. He's still able to do a lot of things. Not the bendiest of athletes, which is a big deal to me as far as what I look for in pass rushers, but he's very smart, able to do all things well. He might be one of those guys that I would describe as good at everything, but not great at anything either, Um, and obviously this stuff's subject to change between now and when the draft actually takes place. And then sixth, I have Montez Sweat. Uh, I think he is a toolsy player. The comparison I have for him, though, is kind of Nick Perry. He's not real bendy around the edge. He has full grown man strength. Uh, You saw that at the Senior Bowl, and a lot of Uh, ability but he's somebody who i think would have to be coached up really well if the packers were able to get him at 30th overall i would be doing jumping jacks uh but i'm not sure that that's going to be able to happen so if they were going to do that they would probably have to pick him at 12th overall or if they were to trade down within a couple spots obviously but uh, there's a lot to be deciphered between now and i think it's 67 days is now from uh when the nfl draft takes place or something like that but there's a lot to be decided between now and then but those are my six guys um as far as the ranking, I think most people have said those six are definitely first-round picks. I'd be surprised if anything changed that between now and then. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff that can come out. You know, Maybe they could bomb at the Combine or you know, not do well in interviews or character issues can take place between now and then, obviously. Uh, but that is uh, those are my six guys and how I have them ranked. Feel free to yell at me about that. At Jacob Westendorf is my Twitter handle. Uh, be sure to send me questions, comments, concerns. Talk Packers with me, whatever, guys. I'm willing to do that any and every time. Um, something else, uh, we're out of time, so I want you guys to be sure to check out the Cheesehead TV draft guide. It's coming out, I believe. Here in, you know, it's newsstand material. And we got a lot of great guys working on it. Andy Herman, Ross Uggle, myself. Tyler Grezegorek, there's so many good player or people in working on this draft guide, and I really think it's something, if you want to know about the draft, but maybe don't have the time to form your own opinions and look uh, for yourself, these guys will do it for you. Uh, I'm doing tight ends, which is a big position, uh, obviously, of need for the Packers. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited to hear your guys' comments on that. Uh, but there's a lot of good guys, so be sure to be able to sign up and grab that. You can find that at cheeseheadtv.com. Follow the show at Pack a Day Podcast on your favorite, or on Twitter, and then give us a subscription, a rating, all that stuff on your favorite podcast platform. It's been a lot of fun obviously talking with you guys tonight. Thank you for sending me all those questions and making this show fun for me tonight. Uh, It's fun every time I get to talk to you guys. So thank you for listening. And as always, go Pack Go.
2: Third and six, trailing 30 to 23, two minutes straight up to go in the game. San Francisco showing a blitz through the A-gap, and here they come. Rodgers looking, throws left side of the A-zone. Yes! Yes! Devontae Adams! Left corner of the end zone from Aaron Rodgers! 16-yard touchdown pass! The Packers an extra point away from getting this game tied! Beffert on third down and three in the shotgun. Football to the 46 at Green Bay. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Beffert looking. Hit as he throws it. Deep down the right sideline. And intercepted. Second on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine yard line of Green Bay. Sam to Rodgers looking right. Throws the right side, Saint Brown makes the catch. Nice oh, he reached back to gather it in, using all six five of his frame. Tumbled out of bounds, inside the 30 of the 28 yard line. Snap to Rogers, looking downfield. Throws the left side. Devontae's got it. Out of bounds, inside the 10 yard line. My goodness, what a throw and catch. Again, they beat Maven down the left sideline. Hunter Bradley, the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee. Arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. And it's good. It is good. Yes. Yes. Mason Crosby delivers the dagger. Go. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. And the Packers win 33-30.